Sentire Media. Hello everyone. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 65, Venice, Part 2. In the last episode in this Venetian mini-series, we saw the scarcely populated areas in and around the lagoon of Venice become more and more inhabited as the Western Roman Empire crumbled and barbarian invasions sent people fleeing for safety there. We saw the area grow autonomously, not too bothered as the empire gave way to the kingdom or, let's say, protectorate of Odoacer, then the kingdom of Theodoric, then to the Byzantines. We saw a special relationship start up with the Byzantines, who had held on to many parts of Italy under constant pressure by the Lombards who invaded in 568. The Lombards then ousted the Byzantines from northern Italy in the mid-8th century, only to be ousted themselves by the Franks. It was under the Franks that Venice faced the first real danger to its existence, as Pepin, king of the Kingdom of Italy, made his way by land and sea, threatening the Venetian capital Malamocco, southeast of present-day Venice. The people had rallied around a man called Agnello Partecipazio, who had transferred the non-fighting population further into the lagoon to the safety of the Riva Alta, Rialto. The scene was set. At this point, the way things went sort of depends on who you believe. If you believe the Venetian tradition, they made a brave stand and Pepin was outmaneuvered and defeated as he tried to navigate his way through the treacherous lagoon with its sandbanks and currents and fell easy prey to the Venetian ships. The Venetians had banded together to resist a much greater enemy and scored a great victory. If you read the Frankish chroniclers, Pippin won easily and then ran off when he heard that a huge Byzantine fleet was on its way. Either way, the danger passed and Agnello Partecipazio became the new Doge. The following year, 1811, the Pax Nicephori between the Eastern Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire left Venice under Byzantine influence, so de facto independent with no serious change in status. Apart from a change of Doge, another effect of the Frankish campaigns against Venice was the new political and refugee focus on the area of Rialto. Many people had fled there and found it a lot safer. So it was that the new Doge placed his political capital in the area of Rialto, the area that we today identify as Venice, at the centre of the lagoon. Now that Venice had a new and definitive capital from a political point of view, they needed something that would give it some religious prestige. We remember that 
All through the Middle Ages, power and religion went hand in hand. Up until then, the cities of Aquileia and Grado had fought over which would be the seat of the Patriarch of Venice. Now, Rialto caught a lucky break or took advantage of its destiny, if you believe the legends. The story involves the saint that would identify with Venice for centuries to this day, the evangelist Saint Mark. So, allow me to take you back to the first century. Saint Mark is uh, backpacking through the Mediterranean with his buddy Saint Peter. They get to Rome and Saint Mark is all like, great, now I'm going to chill a little, take in some sights and do some awesome converting to Christianity. Then Peter Killjoy is all like, okay now Mark, off you go to northern Italy and then see where things take you. So Mark heads up to northeastern Italy where he converts the first bishop of Aquileia. And then he's ready to head off by ship. However, not long into the voyage, a storm grounds him on the islands of Rialto. He falls asleep and then he has a dream in which an angel comes to him and tells him that this will be his final resting place. I don't know how he took the news. I think if an angel came to me and told me I was in the place I would someday be a cadaver, it would sort of ruin my day. But then, I am not a saint, and never will be. Anyway, he finally made it to Alexandria in Egypt, where he was martyred, and Alexandria was where his body stayed. Shows what some angels know, doesn't it? However, in 828, enter stage left Bono da Malamocco and Rustico da Torcello, two Venetian merchants who stopped off in Alexandria. They managed to get a hold of the remains of the saint, and since the guards at the port were Muslims, they put pig meat around it. The plan worked, and so, disguised as a bacon sandwich, the remains of St. Mark arrived in Rialto. So it was that the first version of St. Mark's was built to house his remains. What do you know? The angel was right after all. Going back to the Muslims, their conquest of Sicily in this same period meant that they quickly became a constant menace for the Italian coastline and even took the city of Bari for a while. In 840, under Doge Pietro Tardonico, the first serious expedition against the Saracen was organised and, well, they got their teeth handed to them. The Venetians, that is. That doesn't mean that there weren't any more expeditions and some successes, also by other maritime republics, such as Pisa. But the Saracens would be a menace all the way up until the Norman conquest of Sicily in the 11th century. Incidentally, Doge Pietro Tardonico was assassinated in 864, and in his place came another bear, like the third Doge of Venice, in this case, Orso, or meaning bear, partecipatio. He set out a system of elected judges, which were really part judges and part ministers, a sort of extension of democracy, the Dodge's cabinet, if you will. Towards the end of the 9th century, the very end, 899, 
another potential threat came over the lagoon, this time in the form of the Magyars, early Hungarians, if you will. Also this time, the Venetians were able to see the threat off. Once again, the invaders were okay as long as it was a question of moving along the mainland and even along the Lidi, the long strips of land that defended the lagoon from the sea. It was another thing entirely to try and navigate the dangerous waters of the lagoon, under the pressure of Venetian attack. The Magyars were crushed. It was at this time that the Venetians took extra cool precautions like a huge chain along the canal and high walls along the banks. In the 10th century, Venice didn't just sit back and trade and wait for Saracens or Magyars or Franks to come along. They also got out and wandered around a bit. In 932, under Doge Pietro Candiano, they obtained the submission of what is today the Slovenian city port of Koper, an important seaport. In general, the Balkan coast was a very important source of lumber for a maritime power that was churning out ships like they were rabbits. The century also saw the destruction by Venice of one of its rivals, Comacchio. Now, Short digression here, but I suppose you're used to them now, but anyway. I don't know how many of my lovely listeners have had the great experience of visiting Venice, but it's something that must be done. Even if you find you don't like it, it's the sort of city that's so unique that you have to get over there once in your life. However, it's getting more and more crowded and chaotic to the point that the Venetians are actually studying ways to dissuade tourists, starting with taxing them, which will generally dissuade anyone from doing anything. If you want a similar experience, obviously with less grandeur and history, it's worth visiting Comacchio, known incidentally as Little Venice. Not only can you walk along the canals, sit out in a cafe or restaurant, but you can also go on a boat tour of the surrounding lagoon, which is something you can't really do in Venice, at least not in a simple way. You can get a feel of how some of the people we are talking about may have lived in their huts, out on the soggy islands, fishing for eels and escaping from customs police. If you like eels, this is your destination. I personally find them fatty and slimy, but that's just my opinion and my taste. You can also see other wildlife here, such as the flamingos. Aside from the tourist promotion for Comacchio, we mentioned Pietro II Candiano. The fact that he was the second obviously means that there was a first, but not only. There ended up actually being four Pietro Candiano. Indeed, since we are on the subject, it seems that in Venice, in the 10th century there was an alarming lack of imagination for names, because everyone seemed to have been called either Pietro, Orso or Vitale. At least the Dodgers were. Anyway, let's not get sidetracked again. We were talking about the name Pietro Candiano. The most interesting of these Pietri was the fourth. To start with, he rebelled against his father, Pietro Candiano III, but failed. 
Old Dad still had a soft spot for his son, so he asked for his death sentence to be commuted into exile, which is what happened. At this point, you'd think you would count your lucky stars and live in quiet exile somewhere. Not at all. Pietro Candiano IV took to piracy and often even attacked Venetian ships. So, when his father was deposed in 959, it was obvious that he wouldn't be elected. But totally unexpectedly, he was. Perhaps the Venetians thought it would be better to have him close rather than having him as a pirate. Or perhaps they thought the position of power would sober him up and he would be a good and responsible ruler. He wasn't. He had a very non-Venetian love for ostentatious luxury and despised the limitation on his power that came from the administrative organisation of the city. As if his own hold on power wasn't enough, he thought it would be a good idea to make his son a bishop after duly blinding and imprisoning his rival. Then when the position was freed in 969, he promoted another son to become the Patriarch of Grado. Still, there was no rebellion, so his next step seemed like he was just asking for it. He repudiated his Venetian wife and took a Tuscan one, Gualdrada, who brought lands on the mainland to the Doge. Yes, the Doge, not to the Republic. These were his personal lands. Still no rebellion from the Venetians. Plenty of grumbling, but no rebellion. It wasn't long in coming. Seemingly totally oblivious of the reality around him, Pietro IV Candiano, in 976, demanded that the Venetians take up arms to defend the lands on the mainland his wife had brought to him. That was the last straw. The Doge was besieged in his palace and it was set on fire. Pietro tried to escape with his wife and infant son. She made it, but father and son were stabbed to death. The palace and the nearby St. Mark's were completely destroyed. It goes without saying that we are not talking about the St. Mark's you can see today if you visit Venice, because it burned down. Neither is it the one that now needed to be built after this particular fire. No, the one you can visit today saw its construction start in 1063, so almost a hundred years later than this fire. Yet, the building constructed at the time we are talking about now was very much similar to the one that replaced it. This one, built after the fire in 978, was started by the new Doge, Pietro Orsoleo. I told you everyone was called Pietro. After a pretty bad Doge in Pietro IV Candiano, we saw a pretty good one in Pietro Orsoleo. He was so good he was made a saint. He paid for the rebuilding of the Doge's palace and St. Mark's as well out of his own pocket and even threw in a hospital while he was at it. He even paid off Gualdrada, the widow of the previous Doge, so that she would not show up with an army to claim her rights. After having done all this, after two years of rule, he got bored and disappeared off to a monastery at the age of 50. So, he was a saint for the church, but I sort of wonder what his wife thought about it. For the moment, 
Venice needed another Dodger and found him in Vitale Candiano, who loved the job so much he did it for a year and then also abdicated. It seems it might be a good place to stop now. These Dodgers are getting a bit tired, so we'll leave them until the next episode and see if we can't find a sensible one that can last a little longer. For now, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, the Matilda Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Aaron, Benjamin, Eric R, Lorenzo, Maddie, Mattia, Paul, Scott, Thomas and YR, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony, Ben, Silane, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignacio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Roberta, Shelby, Stephen and Vincent, and the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Sen, Paolo, Reactionary Venetian. I hope you're enjoying this series very much, and Lisa Kay. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at a history of You can also click through to our social media. You can find a PayPal button to support the show. Thank you very much if you feel kind enough to do so. Or you can click through to our Patreon page and become a patron to access extra content. Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Quiet, now hear us. Halt, who goes there? Um, just some simple, humble merchants, sir. We mean no harm. What are you transporting? Um, nothing really. Just some spices, some food for the journey. You know, usual stuff. Definitely no stolen relics here. <laughs> oh, crap. What? Let me see that. Oh, gross, dead, filthy pig. What is wrong with you people? Get out of here and have a shower for yourself as well. Yes, sir, right away, sir. Citizens of the glorious Republic of Venice, we have brought you the most holy relic of St. Mark, the Evangelist. Behold! Um, that's just a load of bacon. Oh crap, I knew those chops tasted weird. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. 
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.